your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show podcast featuring worldwide positive achievements that are inspiring positive actions. What's your PI? Thanks for listening and supporting me. Continue listening from your favorite podcast platform, including my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Sign up for Your Positive Imprint updates from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. Music by the talented composer Chris Knoll. Check out his music at chrisknoll.com or Spotify. Lots of fabulous jazz and other piano genre by Chris Knoll. This episode is sponsored by Snoot Spray. Snoot Spray, as seen on the Daily Buzz, keeps your nose and sinuses clear and is drug-free. Use Snoot Spray daily or for post-nasal drip and drainage from colds, flu, mold, and other nasty bugs or during allergy season. Products available and selling quickly from snootspray.com and Amazon. Snoot Nasal Cleanser is Everything you want from a neti pot squeezed into a tiny little nasal sprayer. S-N-O-O-T Spray. Snootspray.com Well, today's guest, Stephanie Martin-Taylor, is the host of the Beautiful Baggage podcast, bringing you a world of adventure and wonder. Prior to podcasting, she enjoyed an extensive career in broadcast journalism. She's the winner of a regional RTNDA Edward R. Morrow Award for writing in the studio of KQED-FM, the NPR affiliate where she was an anchor and reporter. During her journalism career, she met celebrities and reported from war zones. Today, she's settling down and helping others as a certified life coach. (laughs) I don't know if that's really settling down, but you're settling down in one area. Stephanie, welcome to your positive imprint. Thank you. I'm so honored to be on your show. Oh, oh well, thank you. And, and <laughs> my gosh, I'm talking to a pro broadcast journalism. And so anyway, so who is Stephanie Martin Taylor? Oh, gosh, where to begin? <laughs> uh, I was, I'll just start at the beginning. I was born in Dallas, Texas. And I lived there through um, high school. And then I started to get antsy and really want to uh, live as many different places as possible. I'll back up just a little bit. My, my parents were avid travelers, and I was very lucky to have parents who really believed that traveling was an educational experience. So back in the 80s when people didn't take their kids to places like Egypt and Greece and you know spend a month driving kids around France, which is what my mother did. She she often took us um, by herself um, or with my grandmother. So it was just two women and two small kids. Wow. That was kind of unheard of back in the day, but I thought it was normal. Yeah. And and you said, so you left the cut, you would leave the country with your mom. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And when it was time to go to college, I decided to go kind of randomly to upstate New York And then um, after a brief stint in New York City in the advertising sales side, on the advertising sales side of a magazine that no longer exists, Smart Money Magazine, um, 
I realized I really wanted to be on the journalism side of things. So I, I decided to go into broadcast journalism and worked in small stations, large stations, uh, both in radio and television all over the country. And finally landed in San Francisco about, oh gosh, this was end of 2005, so 15 years ago. That That's interesting. So you didn't even feel at an early age that you wanted to go into journalism. It wasn't until you moved to New York. Well, actually, some seeds had been planted. My father worked uh, in politics when I was young. Um, he was an advanced man for Walter Mondale, which means he traveled with Vice President Mondale when he was vice president and also um, when he was campaigning for president, ran against Ronald Reagan. That didn't go so well. <laughs> but dad would always come back from these trips so energized and excited. And he would always talk about the journalists because he would have to handle the, the manage the journalists and get them from point A to point B. And um, I think on some level he envied their lives because they had such interesting stories to tell and uh, got to be creative with their writing. And so I think he planted that seed in, in my mind when we would talk about his experiences. And it was always in the back of my mind, but I didn't, I was, I was a shy child. So broadcast journalism was never forefront on my radar because it was something that nobody um, outside of my family would have encouraged me to do. You went into journalism and what were your first positive imprints as a journalist like? Oh, gosh, let me think. I'm trying to think when it all actually started, because journalism for me started in my very first job at uh, an NBC. Well, no, sorry, it was an ABC affiliate in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I would work on the desk, meaning the assignment desk, which is the the place where you know, you're communicating with the police and the helicopters and the um, journalists in the newsroom, dispatching them here and there. So um, yeah, I just start, I, lo I learned the work ethic there in Pittsburgh. Um, I remember at one point my, I don't even, I don't even know if this was legal. My hours were 2 AM to 12 noon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was so tired and so young. Uh, but I really from there learned, um, how important it is to have people who are dedicated to telling the story. It's, it's a lot of sacrifice, that career. You know, I spent most of my 20s um, working very, and, and 30s actually, working strange hours in places where I never dreamed I would be. It's where people went for their weather and for their traffic and for just the latest. Uh, if you weren't reading the paper, if you wanted something more immediate, you would go to TV. You, you knew a lot of people were watching. You had to get it right. You make a mistake, you make it in public in front of thousands of people, which is. <laughs> and it's one thing to be behind the camera making the mistakes, but where I really, um, you know, got the trial by fire was when I got my big break, which was to be a news anchor and reporter in Idaho Falls, Idaho, at the local CBS <laughs> news affiliate there. It covered all of eastern Idaho, a little bit of Montana, a little bit of Wyoming. And we, most of the, the journalists at the station were very young from all over the country, had competed very hard to get into this little station. You know, there were, I was told I'd beat something like 40 people to get my, my job. 
And those were just the people who um, got to the top of the pile through another process. So it was very competitive. And then you get there and you realize you have so much to learn. And I'm very grateful that YouTube didn't exist back then because <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> it's pretty funny now. <laughs> What's one of the, you know, what are some of the mistakes or a couple of them that you can share that just still exist with you today as a learning experience? Um, well, it was one thing to do a recorded story where you would you know, go out, gather the tape, do the interviews, go back and edit everything. Going live was a completely different animal for me. And that's where I really had to face my shyness, my stage fright. I remember the very first time I did a, a live reporting um, stand-up, my hands went numb. I was so nervous that I lost all feeling in my hands. Wow. And so wow. um, I had a few occasions where I froze up and just, you know, literally deer in the headlights. Luckily, I had a news director that was patient, had seen it before. <laughs> and I, I was able to keep going and learning and learn how to breathe through it. And, um, you know, eventually end up at the NPR affiliate in San Francisco, which is a far cry from Idaho Falls, Idaho, in terms of media market size. Sure. And it was a long journey and painful at times. In radio, what was extremely nerve-wracking was not only did I have to anchor and be live on the air when I was anchoring the news, In I, my first radio job was in North Carolina. And at that station, I was responsible not for turning on my own microphone and running the board with all the the underwriters and, you know, hitting the, the tape and, you know, so basically DJing my own um, <laughs> live yeah, news yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not the most coordinated person in the world. So that was <laughs> trying to be composed and do my job. And then also all this technical stuff that <laughs> I was not very good at. So um, I got the hang of it. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, to make you feel better, my family is up in Idaho. They live in Idaho Falls. To make you feel better, it is freezing cold there. So maybe that is really why your hands went numb. <laughs> I definitely had that as well. Um, but no, I think it was fairly warm first time I did it. It was well, the, I tried. the weird situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 It was. It was. I was terrified. Yeah. But then you moved on and and. I, I have these pictures that you sent, and I'm, I want to get to these pictures, but you also won an award. Mm -hmm. I actually won many awards. That was one of the last awards I won. But yeah, I, I won a, a number of awards for different kinds of reporting. I won some national awards. I won local awards. It was a really validating experience to to have that happen in my um, particularly in my broadcast radio career, which is not, I didn't win awards in television, but I did in radio and at my, at heart, I'm a writer. And so whenever I won an award for writing uh, a story and telling a good story, it was, it, it just kept me going because it made, made me realize, yes, I'm in for now the right career living out one of my dreams, which was always to be a writer of some sort. It was just a, a writer who uh, voiced my stories versus had them on yes, the printed. But you've done an amazing job with that, and congratulations on the awards. And they imprint on people and inspire people. 
So, and even though it's the news, you're, you're still telling a story. And so I'm looking at some pictures here that you sent, and I will post these on the website so listeners can see them. But uh, one of them, you're in a helicopter and you're in a hard helmet. I am guessing you are in a war zone of some sort. And uh, there's a desert below you, so I'm guessing you're in the Middle East. So yes. what kinds of stories did you have to bring to the world in war zone torn areas? That was a unique experience for me. That was May 2005. The war in Iraq was um, in full force. And I had the opportunity, I was working in North Carolina at the time for the public radio affiliate there. I had the opportunity to go over with the North Carolina National Guard and a small group of journalists. And I remember when I heard about it, when I heard that I actually had the opportunity to go, I felt nauseous, (laughs) (laughs) which told me I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my parents. I talked to my news director, who was this amazing woman. Her name was Denise Franklin. Um, she was the first black female news anchor in that area of North Carolina. And she was such a supportive and an amazing role model for me. And when I told her about the opportunity, she said, Stephanie, I'm not going to stop you. So I decided to go. And I bought my body armor from a place called bulletproofme.com. Oh, you had to Texas. purchase it yourself? The National Guard didn't provide oh, anything for you? Yeah, no, um, we, I had to purchase it, you know, with the help of the station. Okay. And it all seems so surreal, but I went. Um, one of the best experiences of my life, and I'm actually going to talk about it in my next podcast, which is about turning fear into fascination, because I was terrified, but um, it was also a really fascinating story, telling the stories of the local North Carolina National Guard people I was traveling with and uh, what they were doing over there. And some of what they were doing, um, particularly the National Guard, was very mundane. It was, you know, sorting the mail, um, being bankers, um, supporting the infrastructure of what was happening at the time. Um, A lot of things you would never think of. And uh, what really struck me when I went over was, I was in my early 30s, and some people I would talk to would would be like, oh, my gosh, you know, you blonde, delicate, young thing going (laughs) over there. And then I got on the plane to go, and I started looking around at these young Marines and Air Force, uh, women in the Air Force, and then the National Guard tended to be a little bit older, but just looking at all these young women. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm practically old enough to be their mother. And so it put this new perspective on, on the experience for me. And it really helped me grasp the sacrifice that people were making from all walks of life in different, different ages. And um, particularly the young women I met over there really struck me and awed me uh, when I saw what they were doing and, and what they had to give up. Absolutely. Were you able to strike up conversations with them or were you, or it was probably too loud. I don't know if you, or were you allowed to talk to them? It was a fairly controlled environment, but yes, I was allowed to interview U.S. soldiers primarily, you know, the, because it was led by the National Guard, it was a, and it was a media tour. I knew going in that I wasn't going to get the full picture and I wasn't going to, um, be able to talk to the other side, for example, and, um, and, and that was actually okay with me in the sense that I was an 
I was a locally based reporter in North Carolina. So my job was to tell the local news from a local perspective. So I just sort of went in with the idea that, okay, there are reporters from the New York Times and the Washington Post and, you know, in the, in, on the international desk at NPR, et cetera, who are telling the big macro story of the war. That's not my job here. My job is to tell folks back home, my listeners in the Winston-Salem, Greensboro area of North Carolina, what their friends and neighbors and children are, are doing over there and how they're feeling and what their challenges are and just what life is like. So I looked at it from that perspective, um, which granted it was a limited one, but also I just learned so much, you know, it's, it was really, when I watch movies where, you know, they show soldiers in Iraq and I, I see certain things, I, I, I can tell if, if the filmmakers done their homework, if, um, backdrops look like what I saw or <laughs> people are wearing things like what I saw. It was a, it was a very, it was a, like I said, a really surreal experience. Um, the photo that you're referring to where I'm, I'm in a helicopter, I'm in a black Hawk flying somewhere over Iraq. One of the things at that time that the helicopter crews did uh, was they would carry with them these packages of um, Ziploc bags full of candy, and they called them candy bombs. And as they're flying along, you know, looking for people who might shoot them, they're also looking for kids and families to throw candy to because I think they were trying to show and it was a gesture of goodwill and trying, they told me originally people would run into their homes and hide and they were trying to, um, you know, win hearts and minds by, by that gesture. And also they were throwing in my black Hawk I was riding in, they were also throwing soccer balls. Um, they had a limited number of soccer balls that they would bring on each um, trip when they you know, flew wherever they, they were going and they would throw soccer balls to, to kids and families. And you'd see people run out of their homes, you know, waving. It was such a bizarre experience and so surreal because here I am in this war zone, terrified thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm flying over the Sunni triangle. You know, there are rockets and mortars being fired all the time. And yet on the other hand, there are these people that I'm looking at waving and kids and I'm throwing, <laughs> throwing candy at them and it, it was it was like being in this very strange parade yeah the doors were open as we were flying and you and they, and they would fly very low the helicopters in Iraq would fly very low and there was some strategic reason for that and so you're not that far off the ground but but yeah we were throwing them out the out the door at kids and families and just to try to in a roundabout way say hey we're actually your friends Mm-hmm. That was the message I was told they were trying to say. And what's interesting is and haunting about it is, you know, I wasn't able to tell the story of the people on the ground and what they thought and, you know, how they were feeling when they saw the helicopters. Uh, I could only sort of fill in the blanks by reading stories. And it's so complicated. Yeah, and you can it's, only tell it from your perspective since you didn't mm -hmm. get to talk to them. So just yeah. the faces that you saw and the fact that they came out of the of their homes. Yeah, very complicated story though. And, you know, I wonder sometimes about what happened to, to people I saw, people who might've enjoyed the candy and the, the soccer balls we threw. You know, it's still a very um, 
very volatile place and a lot of tragedies. So it's it's a lot to think about. Even it now. is. It is. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm glad that it it changed you in many ways, not just as a as a journalist, but it it moved you forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it gave me perspective on just what it's like for U.S. soldiers to, to be deployed for long periods oh, of time. One of the, the bases we flew um, to from from uh, where we uh, we were stationed at a place called um, Balad Air Base, and uh, there was a base connected to it called Camp Anaconda, and that was a major staging ground for a lot of the war. So that was huge. But we went to a tiny base that was up north. Um, called They called it Q West. And it was much more remote. And I interviewed some of the soldiers and just kind of talked to them about what they missed about home. And as we were leaving, their commander told our little group of journalists that our visit was, well, actually, this was after the fact. He emailed me. I was communicating with him. And he said, your visit was one of the highlights of their deployment. And Was it was not? That, Did you say was not? What? was one of the highlights of their deployment. Wow. So just a visit by a little group of journalists from North Carolina, like that was, that was a big deal and it made them so happy. And it just kind of gives you this perspective of, of what, what they were dealing with and what their life was like, that our visit meant so much to them and just having the chance to talk about their experience that's something I think is very universal. People want to talk about their, their life experiences and share their stories. And one of the big takeaways I got from going to Iraq and experiencing it firsthand was when I got back, I wanted to talk. I wanted to tell people about my, my experience. And so I make a point of when I meet veterans or people who have been deployed and they want to talk about it and they're open to talking about it, I make a point of asking questions because it's something that most of us don't really understand and we don't even know where to start with the questions. But just the fact that you're even asking the questions means a lot. And they do give up a lot. And they a lot of them come back injured. Mm, they do. And my mom is a volunteer over at the Veterans Hospital. And one of the fellows that she visits, he's paralyzed from the neck down. Mm. And he's 36. I'm glad that you had the experience. Then onto a... Lighter note, unless you have more to say about your visit to Iraq? No, I mean, there's always lots to say, but I'll leave it there for now. Cause that's, uh, especially the story of the candy bombs was one of my favorite experiences. Favorite's probably the wrong word. It was my, one of my more profound experiences and surreal experiences. And then there's this picture of you with a lion cub. Yes, that was um, in Zimbabwe uh, about three years ago. That was a trip that my mother insisted that my husband and I take with her. She had gone to Africa with my father, and she she just, even though you know I'm now in my 40s, <laughs> she's still my mom, and she still has that sense of responsibility for my education and for making sure I see parts of the world that she's seen. She'd gone with my dad and and was so blown away by Africa. She said, you know, you have to go and have this experience. And in in Zimbabwe, there's an area that's a a lion rescue. It's a sanctuary for cubs that have been separated from their, their, their mothers. And so they go and they rehabilitate them. It was just a beautiful experience to be able to actually touch them and 
see their giant paws, <laughs> how big they were actually going to get. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> big. They're teeth. still big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to to do that and go out and see the animals out in Africa yeah. in, in their natural environment. Oh my gosh, I hope that cub survives. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest of its yeah. life and and yeah. because there is a uh, one of my guests called it a war on wildlife in Africa. It's yeah. very true. And now my husband and I, whenever we see, we're flipping around television and we see a nature program that's set in Africa, that's usually the theme of it is, is just the fact that, you know, the, the need to protect mm-hmm. and um, just the dire situation over there with poaching and just human encroachment in general. So um, there's this whole new interest and understanding of the, of the predicament that, um, or the problem. Uh, that we have because we've traveled there and interacted. And that's why I'm such an advocate for travel and exploration and just expanding your horizons as much as you can, because it just, it gives you so much more of, you know, just so many more frames of reference and a knowledge base. And it just makes everything more interesting. You know, I was listening to your uh, podcast on the Igbo culture in um, Igbo language in Nigeria and it would have been interesting to me regardless, but it's so funny. I took a class um, in college on Nigeria, and it was one of the classes, the few classes I made a C in. I wasn't very good at Nigeria because I couldn't wrap my mind around it. It was there were so many different languages and cultures, and I knew nothing about it going in. But one of the things I learned in my liberal arts education and just by taking classes like that is, okay, you might not be good at everything, but if you just expose yourself to it, you never know where you're going to meet that subject matter again or meet people from the culture you're studying or whatever, and suddenly you can make a connection. So I I did a story with Nigerian artists when I was in North Carolina, and I got to go to a private home and they were doing the cola nut ceremony and the women were wearing the gorgeous head wraps. And I had that, that frame of reference from this class that I did terribly in. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yet it was such a gift. And, um, so, uh, you don't have to be an expert or good at something to just go and, and expose yourself to it be um, open-minded and the gifts will just keep giving you'll keep receiving gifts from just having just a little bit of an open mind and by the way that was uh, ugochi from nigeria whom you listened to she was amazing so incredible and i don't know what it would be like to be told that your own language will be extinct by 2050 that was shocking to me i didn't know that so i learned that from you yeah, well, I learned it from Ugochi, and I'm and her positive imprint obviously is to keep Igbo language, and but you mentioned open mind, and I think that is so imperative. I had a guest on whom you would enjoy. I don't know if you've listened to him already, Marcos Mendonca from Brazil, and he's a world traveler, and his positive imprint is telling people that you need to travel, but when you travel engross yourself in the culture. Don't go to these places expecting, and he used this phrase, expecting ketchup 
to be placed in front of you. Yes. <laughs> What's and, the point? Right. And so, and he talked about open mind as you are. And I think that is important because when people travel, not everybody has an open mind for the culture they're, they're visiting. And how do you get somebody when they're ready, when they're, you know, getting their ticket and they're getting ready to travel to a, a different culture? How do you, how would you talk to that person to help them to have that open mind while traveling? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one thing I would say is the more I've been traveling, I've been traveling, as I said, since I was a child and our, our cultures are blend. We've become such a global culture that, you know, you can go to Russia and have Kentucky fried chicken. Now <laughs> um, what's hilarious about it though, is there, they have a different rather than Colonel Sanders, because I think he looks too much like Lennon. It's the, 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 the <laughs> mascot is is this oh, that's funny, funny. chicken. That's <laughs> just funny. Uh, but, so there are those fun little quirks. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but uh, you can't take culture for granted. So when you go somewhere and you're experiencing something different that you've never experienced before, that's something really special. And to take note of and to appreciate, you don't have to like it. Um, you don't have to understand it. But just to experience it, just being in the moment is what I would tell people. You know, just be in the moment and appreciate and understand that you're going to expand your mind in ways that you may not understand while you're having the experience, but later something's going to click that mem- trigger that memory, and you'll 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 see why it was valuable. That's a good point, which brings me to beautiful baggage, and mm-hmm. I love the name. So- Thank you. I like the way you describe it as the wonder of the world of share beautiful baggage. Yeah, it just kind of came to me. Being a writer, I love alliteration, so that was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think baggage is a word that has so much negative connotation. It has so many negative connotations to it. But I see beautiful baggage as the positive things we pick up Mm -hmm. when we move through our world, our travels and our everyday lives with that sense of wonder and adventure. It's those points of reference that we pick up and, 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 and and have in the backs of our minds. So when we connect with somebody from say Nigeria or a country we've been to, or, or something we've read about because we've had an open mind in what we're reading, that's the beautiful baggage that we can bring to the table and use to connect with other people. And, and then you can use it in different ways too. As we've, we said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm, being, I'm just about to get my certification as a life coach. There are things that maybe you would think are, are negative baggage that, that you're carrying around with you that actually, if you look at it a different way through coaching, um, can serve you. Uh, one thing that I consider my beautiful to be my beautiful baggage is um, the painful shyness I I experienced growing up, and I still to this day am still working on it. But I see that what I saw as a flaw also pushed me to um, find ways to express myself and force myself force myself to give to give myself opportunities that other people wouldn't give me because they thought I was too quiet or shy. Becoming a news anchor reporter was never on anybody's radar screen for me, except for perhaps my parents who knew that when I was little, 
I loved playing with microphones and tape recorders <laughs> and writing and and performing. Uh, I just was more shy in social situations, so um, I would clam up in groups, and so people people who weren't my parents or immediate family didn't necessarily see that side of me. And so that's my beautiful baggage that I carry around and. It's there. I still deal with it. It still sometimes pops its head up in the form of, you know, um, imposter syndrome or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. <laughs> you know, I still look at those, those pictures from the rock and I'm like, really? Yeah. I really did that? Sweet, shy little Stephanie went to Iraq and ran around and <laughs> wearing 30-pound body armor? That doesn't make any sense. But it does, does make sense to me on some level. It's, it was just I started looking at my baggage differently and fighting to to overcome it and live a loud life in my own unique way. And I want to inspire others to do the same. I love that. I, I, I love it. So look at your baggage differently. And how many of us, you know, we, we do view our baggage in sometimes and all too often very negative ways. And I think that, that listening to you, that, that's something very awesome. And you talk about you don't have to understand it. You just need to experience it and be in the moment. And I love give yourself opportunities. And that's something that we as, as humanity, we don't do enough. We don't look at things that are happening to us as opportunities. So even yeah. if it's something negative, we don't see it as an opportunity. You as a life coach, you're incredible. Thank you. So anybody that has you as a life coach will definitely be in for some wonderful positive changes within their lives. Thank you. And, and what I want you to understand and, and everyone to understand is coaches just really help um, you see that it, you have the power all along. It's really you who, who overcame those fears and overcame whatever your obstacles were. It's just being able to think just a little bit differently, just kind of like the way we see our, you can see baggage as a beautiful thing. It's just like making little tweaks to our thinking, and sometimes it takes time. But that's where the, the magic happens is when we, we change our perspective, begin to feel different feelings that are a little bit more positive, and next thing you know, you're, you're off on a different trajectory. Sure. And what made you decide to want to serve the people with your positive imprints through life coaching? Mm -hmm. Well, I think just um, because of my story, because I was a shy kid and became a news anchor talking for a living, um, that's, that's an funny. unusual story. <laughs> Talking for a living. I love that. I guess that's what I do. I, I listen for a living. <laughs> yeah, and listen. Yes, listening to just as important, if not more so. But the fact that I did that, a lot of that was mindset. And of course, I didn't have a coach leading me through that, that process. I wish I'd had a coach. Um, life coaching really wasn't a thing um, when I started in broadcasting years ago. Now we're so fortunate that the life coach business is booming and there are so many women doing it and people who are more like me who are introverted. So there's a different flavor of coach for, for every need out there. And, you know, I won't be for, for everybody either, but I do think especially people who struggle with shyness or introversion or fear around things like traveling or breaking out of the comfort zone, I feel like I can really, um, through personal experience and through my training, 
help people make breakthroughs and and live a, a richer, fuller life. Thank you for sharing all of this. And where is your next beautiful baggage destination? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think I'm going to be, um, now that I'm um, being certified as a coach, I think my podcast is probably going to to integrate more and more with the coaching. So I think you're going to hear more coaching tools in my podcast as as I produce episodes. But I'm still going to talk about travel. I'm still going to talk about all those amazing life experiences I had in my career as a journalist and um, and just as a lifelong lover of travel. What's interesting right now is because of the coronavirus, travel, the whole travel industry is disrupted. So uh, I'm thinking a lot for my next episodes about uh, the journeys you can take in your own mind and in your own world. Listening to podcasts like yours are wonderful ways to collect beautiful baggage, to, to hear stories from other people and their life experiences. Those can sometimes be just as valuable, if not more so, for people on their life journeys. So um, you don't well, thank have to you for that. Thank you. Uh, I, I really admire what you're doing and the people you're bringing to light. Every, everyone has a story. Everyone is inspiring in their own way. And, and you're seeing that and giving people a platform um, and people who, who might not otherwise have a platform. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I love doing this podcast and because I meet people like you people from all over and I I wish that the world was smaller in a way so that we could reach out and and sit down and enjoy you know coffee beer wine whatever well, that would be fun a, a positive imprint conference maybe yeah. in your future someday I could see that I could see that uh, that would be so dream, much fun dream big dream big that that would be fun so many amazing people and different countries with such fabulous cultures and and lots to learn even if I'm not visiting I'm learning and I'm experiencing their culture like you said well are there any last little inspiring words you want to share I would just say never stop viewing the world with the wonder of a child it's so easy to lose that but if you can tap into that and find something every day that you just look at and go wow life softens and the possibilities become more evident and and then you're 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 projecting positive energy out into the world and the goal of this podcast leaving positive imprints oh stephanie martin taylor you're awesomely wonderful <laughs> I have so much enjoyed having you on my show. Thank you, Catherine. I, I'm so um, in awe of what you do every single week. You're a pro. <laughs> oh, I so much appreciate that coming from a pro. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you, you've got it down. Uh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to Your Positive Imprint. And to learn more about Stephanie Martin-Taylor, you can go over to yourbeautifulbaggage.com. Stay safe and healthy out there. Your positive imprint. What's your P.I.?